Hello, uh, welcome to this week's Test Podcast. I'm Martin George, I'm joined by John Severs. Hi John. Hello. Ed Doyle, hi Ed. Bonjour. Uh, Charlotte Sanctuary, hi Charlotte. Hi. Um, let's do the usual thing, talk about a bit of news and then a bit about what's in the magazine this week. Um, Charlotte. Uh, Damien Hines, <laughs> Education Secretary, his first yes. big test in front of the MPs. Um, so he used to be a member of the Education Select Committee, now he gave evidence to it for the first time. How did he do? Well, um, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't like to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it depends, I suppose, because you could say he was giving lots of very long rambling answers, which you could say maybe that's part of his strategy, maybe that's his tactic, mm. sort of bore everyone into submission. Maybe they'd lose concentration and forgot, forget what they were asking about. But, um, Did you lose concentration, Charlotte? Never, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you could see, as you were following it on Twitter, you could see that there were a few times when everyone seemed to kind of doze off. And then he'd say something slightly random, like in the middle of a conversation about opportunity areas, he suddenly came up with, oh, and we should have careers fairs in junior schools. And Twitter kind of woke up and went, oh, what was that? What was that all about? Um, <laughs> so... He, uh, yeah, there, there was one particular bit where Lucy Powell was asking about multi-academy trusts and whether the oversight of them needs to be strengthened and specifically whether um, there needs to be more, Ofsted needs to be given more power to, to inspect them. Mm. And uh, I think uh, this, it must have lasted for about 10 minutes, possibly longer. <laughs> and I don't think he addressed the question once. <laughs> Um, which again, may maybe that was a great tactic, but it was, I think, quite frustrating to the. It doesn't bode for well for us as journalists getting like good news <laughs> stories and great answers from this guy, does it? I mean, remember, I mean, to be fair in his defence, he is still really very new. Um, yeah. His patch is enormously broad ranging, mm. mm -hmm. and you know the area of policy with the most political pressure on it is HE. Mm. So maybe you know, trying to find the human side to this, maybe <laughs> just maybe it's possible that. He hasn't turned his full forensic <laughs> attention to the minutiae of schools policy. But, yeah, know. and also some of the questions. I think the first thing that it all kicked off with was about admissions. And um, and it got into quite a lot of detail. And I, I mean, pleasingly, they were mentioning a, a, an investigation that we'd published about looked after who, children. Who wrote it, Charlotte? Well, I, I don't know. A very, <laughs> a very revered journalist, I think. Maybe Charlotte. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, I mean, it's always gratifying when you hear your own story being discussed by mm. politicians. But I think you know, it, it was also really pleasing that that was a subject that they'd chosen to focus on. But it's not necessarily something that you'd expect to come up um, as the first item in an accountability hearing with the Education Secretary. And perhaps he was expecting there to be more of a focus on kind of the more mainstream stuff, the sort funding, of funding work and work, yeah, recruitment, recruitment all yeah. that kind of stuff, um, which, which they, they did discuss. Um, but maybe, you know, he's, and he's only human, maybe he was a bit nervous. Possibly. I mean, I saw you did a story, you did two stories online. One was five things, you know, he said, and I saw a Times journalist tweeted back saying, you know, well done on finding five things he said. <laughs> and then you did like a, a really brilliant sketch of just kind of encapsulated some of the frustration some of the MPs had, I think, about not getting clear or precise answers from him. Um, yeah, there was definitely a lot of frustration. Um, I'd be interested in whether he saw that as a, whether he saw it as a success. Looking back, that actually they didn't really manage to get much out of him, mm. or or if he sort of wishes that he uh, sort of 
was a bit more clear cut in some of his answers. I mean, it, with the, the mat inspections, he didn't necessarily have to come down either way, but perhaps he could have discussed some of the pros and cons of the idea mm. um, and, and maybe just addressed it a bit more. But I would have sort of some of these uh, sort of areas where actually there's stuff going on in the background and he's examining options here, so he, it's just too early for him to make sort of policy pronouncements until he's you know, decided what the yeah. result of a review might be that we don't know about. Yeah. Um, two more things, bits of news to talk about. Um, one which is very positive, one which is not so positive. Um, Ed, give us a bit of um, Arabian sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> where, where did you spend last weekend, Ed? I spent last weekend in a seven-star hotel <laughs> on an artificial island in the Arabian Gulf. Sounds terrible. <laughs> we, we were in the snow in, in London. Mm. Yeah, uh, I specifically... Uh, uh, not long back from uh, the Global Education and Skills Forum, which observant listeners will know is uh, the event at which they hold the Global Teacher Prize, mm. which observant listeners will know is the million dollar teacher. Yeah. The million dollar teacher who this year is British. Hooray. Hooray. The first, time, the first time we've had a British winner. Yes, four years they've been organising this, uh, this competition, I suppose you'd call it. Um, and first time out of 30,000 entrants, 30,000 people nominated, a Brit emerged as number one, mm. specifically Adriana Zaparaku, who uh, teaches at Alperton Community School in Brent in northwest London. Uh, she teaches in a particularly deprived area where they speak something in the region of 100 languages or mm. something like that. And I think this year is very much a celebration of... Um, of the work that she does in a community like that, a multicultural community, and the work that a school like that does in a community like that, and the challenges it faces, and how outreach and pastoral care and extracurricular love mm. does go a long way to making a difference. It's very progressive, I think. I think she gave, she gave a real shout out to the importance of the arts in her speech, didn't she? I mean, yes, it's definitely worth observing that she's an arts and textiles teacher. Um, in some ways, I suppose she's. Um, than it give nightmare really. She's very progressive, she's very cross-curricular. Um, the art should be sort of woven through the curriculum, she mm. believes. Um, and she definitely believes that art and design and textiles and that kind of stuff have a real power to kind of lift kids who maybe from difficult backgrounds can really get involved with those and if they get involved with those they can move on to other subjects. So, you know, not exactly on message in governmental terms. Well, I think Nick Gibb did tweet congratulations. Nick Gibb did, yes. As I think did Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May mention. Theresa May know, and AMQs. Jeremy Corbyn both mentioned that Prime Minister's questions, yes. She's been to visit Theresa May in Downing Street, I think, today yep. or yesterday. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a hell of a coup. And the PR around it, let's be honest, is triumphant as mm. well. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just a great, I think it's, it's a, the aim of the prize when it was founded was to really raise the status of teaching as a profession yeah. around the world. And yeah, I think here this week in Britain, it's done that. Absolutely. I mean, the, that's exactly right. The idea is that, you know, teachers should be celebrated um, and rewarded in the same way as Nobel Prizes for scientists. That's a direct comparison. And one little postscript, which I think is slightly interesting, is that they treat the winners of grown as grown-ups while they do give the million dollars over a 10-year period, so mm. they get whatever it is, £80,000 a year, uh, per year. There's actually nothing nothing in the documents which says you have to spend this on education. I mean, they can spend it on themselves if they want. Um, and yet, so far, none have done so. They have all spent it on their oh, own. Really? 
educational work, which is the tradition in, in Nobel. So when, when a scientist wins some enormous Nobel Prize, they get a huge cash payment. Um, there's nothing in that, in that document, in their documents, to say you have to spend it on science, but they always do. Mm. And so far the teachers have too, which I think is a good thing. Yep. And it's a good thing that they're not obliged to, but it's a good thing that they good do. Good thing they actually do. Yeah. Um, here's a story this week um, that, that's not quite so optimistic, um, although it might actually, a lot of teachers will be glad it's out there. Um, teacher workload and how, despite those long summer <laughs> holidays that everyone says teachers enjoy, even including those, teachers work longer average hours a week than uh, nurses and police. And that's including overtime that nurses do. Um, probably vindication there for a lot of overworked teachers. Yeah. Well, yeah, and especially in the context of the, the nurses' pay awards. Yep. Um, I think one thing with, with the hours is obviously nurses and I suspect police all work a lot of split shifts and, and nights. Um, yeah. And so the hours are perhaps more unsocial, but then they do get um, unsocial hours payments, which I, I don't think is the norm in, in teaching. It certainly isn't. <laughs> yeah. I think there's also another stat there on, on pay. I think teachers' pay had gone down by double figures in real terms over the, whatever the period was, whereas for nurses it had gone down in real terms by single figures. Mm. So there was a work more hours, have seen their pay fall further. I think I mean, undoubtedly, I mean really undoubtedly, the pressure is about to come really, really to bear on the DfE. Mm. This settlement for the NHS workers, you combine that with the pressure on Damien Hines regarding workload and sorting out the recruitment crisis, um, and the two are now recognised to go very much hand in hand. I think, you know, they are going to have to do something meaningful about pay. I think it's absolutely quarter, and. Um, Right now, as we record this, uh, so I think to our listeners it will be yesterday, we would have published a piece by Jeff Barton, General Secretary of Askell, making exactly that point. Mm. It is worth, that's online by the way. Um, yeah, I just don't think it's a sustainable. It's, you know, they need to sort the workload, they need to sort the pay. Yeah. And, and the recruitment crisis may then ease, but without those, there's no yeah. point. And the key thing about the nurses' pay rise. The Treasury funded that rather than having to come from existing NHS budgets and, and schools will absolutely want to see the same. They certainly for them. will, mm. yeah, absolutely. And that headline 6.5% when you go into the details, some people are actually getting 29%, 29% percent <coughs> pay rise over three years. So, and that includes, I think, even in the sort of 20, 25%, that includes some quite specialist nurses who are, who are already being paid not a terrible salary. So I think that's going to see them go up to about 40,000 oh, wow. by the end. So we're not necessarily talking about people right at the bottom of the pay scale. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think teachers are right to, to look at that and wonder what's what they're going to get. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, magazine this week. Um, should we talk about drugs first? Smart drugs, Martin. <laughs> Smart drugs. Smart drugs. Not, not your casual recreational drugs, but... <laughs> not mine specifically. specifically yeah. <laughs> not, not your I guess you could call her our science correspondent. She's written so much for us now, but Kat Arney was doing some research around smart drugs in HE and came to me and said, all the researchers are talking about 16-year-olds doing smart drugs. What are smart drugs, John? Well, this is the tricky thing. You're going to make me pronounce some quite difficult words. Um, <laughs> well done, Ed. So... <laughs> We're talking about ADHD medication, 
uh, Ritalin and Adderall. I think that's possibly how you say it. So. And some narcolepsy uh, medication, modafinil. Or modafinil. Uh, modafinil. What's that thing like? <laughs> <laughs> um, so these are prescribed drugs that uh, someone's described in, in the piece as sort of an optimization drug for, for the brain. Mm. So that if you are lacking in certain elements, it sort of balances you out. Whether if you are... Uh, uh, whether if you don't have ADHD or narcolepsy, it enhances the brain is up to interpretation. Mm. There's no hard and fast evidence, but there are apparently many 16-year-olds and younger who are now taking these drugs believing that they turn their brain into a calculator, that they make um, the dullest subject fascinating, that they can work longer and harder. And one of the researchers involved has claimed that because education is so focused on exam outcomes that these children believe, because they are children, believe that um, taking these drugs will get them those outcomes. I mean, when I sort of saw the headline on this, I thought it's going to be the same drug story we usually have, where there are harmful drugs out there, be careful, it's a danger to our kids. Mm. Uh, from reading it, I didn't see a big warning that these drugs are enormously harmful. No. It, it seems to be a, a much more nuanced picture. Yeah, I mean, the, the drugs themselves are you know, they're approved for those conditions, they have some side effects, but if they're prescribed properly, those, those side effects can be managed. Uh, one of them is that it can interrupt with the um, contraception pill. Yep. So, um, you know, if, if you are on the pill, you should be quite careful if you're, if you're having sex. But um, the danger comes from how they're, how they're got, basically. You can go on, on to the internet, <laughs> buy these... Uh, buy these smart drugs and you don't really know what you're getting or you can create fake profiles you can you pretend you have ADHD set yourself up for this you know create this you know, false pro uh, health profile for yourself yeah and get the drugs that way and so the danger really they're saying is coming from how you acquire the drugs not necessarily the drugs themselves yeah i mean one point there was you know some kids are trying to sort of buy these medicines off people who have been prescribed them for their medical condition. Mm. So some kids who might actually need these drugs medically yeah. aren't getting them now because yeah. their classmates are having them because they've got exams coming up. And all the testing at the moment is done with <laughs> willing volunteers, none of us, I, I don't think. Not yet. Not yet, who are taking, <laughs> say, a pill a day for three weeks and mm. to see the impact. And one of the researchers involved said that that's sort of irrelevant. You know, that's not really telling you anything because we have no idea how they're being taken you know, by the by the general population. So, you know, you could be popping two or three in at your lunch break. We just don't know. Well if there are no real side effects. I mean it's slightly begs the question and you've got some very important A levels coming up, so slightly begs the question, why wouldn't you? One of the researchers um <laughs> talks about that and he talks about the fact that this may become a drug that is quite costly and then you get you know, you get middle class parents or middle class children buying them leaving disadvantaged children even further oh. behind. So he said there's a, there's a problem there. And he said, well... So we need to subsidise them. Yeah, well, yeah, potentially. <laughs> but he said even if you flip it and say, well, maybe we'll give the disadvantaged ki kids an extra boost because they've been disadvantaged, he said, well, that's morally wrong too. So he said, we need... You know, we're not at the point where it's at an epidemic level, which is claimed in HE. Um, but he's saying we do need to talk about this because it is important. And um, one of the researchers from Cambridge University has said actually we need to concentrate on schools and just talking about general brain health you know what does make a difference you know lots of sleep um eating properly 
um, the sort of stuff uh, that Robert Bjork talks about, which is interleaving, how you know effective research strategies. This stuff does does make a difference without having to take a pill. So we should probably focus there first. Yeah. I mean, it's one will. It's a lot harder to do than taking a pill. It's, it's admittedly true, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, well, uh, Adam Rose, our editor, who obviously never appears on this podcast, um, was saying the other day that we ought to uh, produce an entire magazine on smart drugs and see. <laughs> Could we do it so in the week because GCSE results come out? That's always a busy week, and we yeah. need to concentrate to be yeah, top of our game. Mind, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's my request. And, uh, and 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 see whether the readers notice a market improvement in the magazine, <laughs> or whether uh, it gets a bit kind of. This podcast out. would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Staying with science, I guess. Um, drugs there. Let's talk about primary school science. Um, so, it's, again, it's in the magazine. It's a piece I've been looking at, the state of science in primary schools. And how brilliant is it, Martin? It's, it's very good, actually. It's a really, <laughs> really good piece. Yeah, I was quite, quite glad when I read it. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it's, it's painting a picture of government saying, on the one hand, science, technology, innovation, really important for Britain after we leave the EU. When you look at what the subject's doing in primary school, actually it's been squeezed out by English and maths. When you look at initial teacher training, it's been squeezed out. Mm. And lots of primary teachers are coming to primary schools after their training, not knowing how to assess whether their pupils are even doing good science. I mean, is this something to be worried about? Yes. They've just been the opposite of Damien Hines, aren't you? The opposite of Damien Hines. I mean, the Wellcome Trust have tried numerous times to try and prompt this, but I think the problem they keep finding is that they haven't got the teacher expertise necessarily in science. So you can give people all the resources in the world, but you're, you know, you're approaching scripted lessons with science, you know, if you really want to do it properly. There's some amazing examples of really good science primary teachers out there. But in general, you don't get many science graduates going into primary yeah, schools, yes. and then it becomes difficult. And there, you're there not are echoes of, of the issue with coding, aren't there? Exactly that. Yeah. Well, you know, the government say, "Well, we're all going to be coding at primary school," and a kind of big grand statement. Um, and then there's a few noises about CPD for primary teachers, but ultimately, um, you know, the overwhelming bulk of the primary education, primary school workforce, are very, very far from comfortable with teaching coding. Mm. Yeah. Um, and the same with same with science. Same with science. Yeah. Also, they because they um about eight years ago they um they got rid of the uh, key stage two test in science in science and made yep. it um, teacher. And that's definitely come up. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's just be be slightly positive just to end on. I mean, buy the magazine because there are some sort of tips there about you know, if you're not confident as a primary teacher in science. There are resources, there are some tips, and a couple of teachers who lead science in their primary schools have done really well, but aren't science graduates at all. So I think it, it can be done. Possible. It can Definitely be done. Definitely possible. Yeah. And also do look up the work of the Wellcome Trust, because they've done some really, as John says, they've done some really... Is it, the, is it the Explorify website they've yeah, got, which yeah. came up a lot in the teachers I talked to? I think most primary schools should now have their little pack of basic science equipment as well that they sent out. I think we covered it about two years ago. So there should be in a maybe in a cupboard somewhere. Yeah, well, let's hope not. But yeah, the Spotify website's great. Yeah, I've had a look at it. I think it's bad. So it's a positive a note. Positive end. <laughs> I'd like to end on. Excellent. Well, thanks very much, guys, and um, see you next week.